Axis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Facebook decides to share and the return of Davos in the desert. But first, Detroit's short-term thinking. Last month, we dedicated an entire episode to the 50,000 General Motors workers who had just launched America's largest labor strike in 12 years. They wanted higher wages, fairer compensation for temporary workers, and for GM not to close several facilities, including that much-talked-about plant in Lordstown, Ohio. In the end, the workers basically got two out of three, and they're now in the midst of voting on the deal. If successful, expect the UAW to take this framework to Ford and Fiat Chrysler, basically trying to replicate it. So, you know, all good for now. But almost everything in this deal is based on, well, it's based on the for now part. It doesn't really get into job dislocations that could occur as the industry moves further toward electrification and autonomy, nor what would happen if gas prices were to rise, thus making pickup trucks and SUVs less desirable, let alone a recession. Remember, these aren't just theoretical risks. The auto industry's technological changes are already in motion, including at GM, and we all know about the inevitability of oil price and economic cycles. Unfortunately, neither management nor labor were able or willing to prick themselves on those thorny issues, which could mean GM won't have to wait another 12 years between major strikes. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Auto reporter Joanne Muller. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios' Joanne Muller. Let's just start with the state of play here. General Motors workers still need to ratify this agreement. Will they? Well, you know, it was looking dicey for a while, but I think now there's been enough big locals, some important factories that have voted yes, but it's going to be close. And uh, there's still a lot of controversy about this contract. It's certainly generous, but the problem is it doesn't provide a whole lot of job security for the future. I think the union was expecting some jobs to come back from Mexico. And so was President Trump, probably. But that does not seem to be the case. A lot of Democratic presidential candidates have used this strike to illustrate what they see as the need in America for stronger unions. If this particular deal gets ratified, does this help them better make the case in terms of saying, you know, there is a strong union with the auto workers and they got a lot for their people? Or is it more there is a strong union with the auto workers and even they couldn't really get what the workers wanted? That's a great question, you know, and I don't know exactly how others will perceive it. But I will say this. The union gave up a lot when GM was in bankruptcy. And so they're recovering some of that. And a very important aspect of this contract has to do with shortening the time that it takes for entry-level workers to work their way up to full wages. GM had, some years ago, when they were in trouble, had kind of created a two-tier system within the union itself, which is antithetical to what unions stand for, right? You can't have two people doing the work next to each other, earning different things. And so the union has been very intent on closing that gap, and they were successful with this negotiation. So if what you think a union is is restoring middle class wages and earnings, then yes, I think a lot of people would say it's successful. But the bigger problem is that the industry is undergoing this giant structural change, and there's technological disruption happening everywhere. We're moving to electric vehicles, which are easier to put together and will require less labor. That's a job security threat. 
It is. And so I wonder when both sides, you know, management and labor were, have been sitting at the table for the past month or two hammering this thing. From your perspective, is it just an inability or refusal of either side to really be willing to look around the corner because the corner is just too scary for everybody? <laughs> That's, uh, I think there's some of that for sure. I mean, I do think GM is looking around the corner. The problem is that they just have a lot of legacy issues and they can't be as nimble as a, as a test or some other new company, or, you know, like Waymo or whatever. And so it's a much harder turn to make for a company like GM. The workers understand it too, believe me, they really do. But, you know, their job, they, they have to protect the livelihoods. And, and when you look at wages for auto workers, sound like they're really rich and really generous wages. They make 32 bucks an hour and they get fabulous health care. But when you adjust for inflation, their wages are actually going down. And that's a big problem across the economy, seeing wage stagnation everywhere. You said GM is looking around the corner. One of the things you raise in a piece that's going up on Axios today is an issue of gas prices, which for a while now have been very low. And one of the byproducts of long-term low gas prices has been a surge in the U.S. of people buying trucks and buying SUVs and not buying sedans. And GM, like some other automakers, have basically slowed down or almost stopped making what we used to think of as normal you know, gas-based cars. Is that a big risk for GM? Because if gas prices were to go up, either because of war, maybe Elizabeth Warren becomes president and fracking gets eliminated. If gas prices go up, people are going to want cars that they're not equipped to make anymore. Yes, that is a big risk. But there's two things that could potentially help them offset that. One is that crossover SUVs are sort of car-based and they have really made them much more fuel efficient, maybe not as, as fuel efficient as a, the old passenger sedan or small family car, but they are pretty good. And so the problem is that market has gotten super competitive, very crowded. And so GM and Ford and, and Chrysler would find themselves competing against everybody else in a crowded segment, and their costs are higher because their labor costs are higher. The other thing that could happen is we could shift to electric vehicles very quickly and people would choose that those as the, uh, as their alternative to the old gasoline family car. But the market is so unclear right now. It's really hard to predict anything. It's a wonder they even came to an agreement on a contract. Speaking of last thing, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, when you were talking about uh, wages or, or compensation for auto workers, you, you made the comment about fabulous health care. So, so I want to end on a political question here and let's leave the, the energy or gas or fracking piece out of it. There is a sense that the left flank of Democratic Party, Warren Sanders, are the strongest pro-union people. They talk about unions constantly. At the same time, they are the ones who, if they got their way, would change the health care system in America. So those particular health care benefits of the UAW and others negotiated for would go away and we'd go to a Medicare for all system. Do you have a sense on where kind of the average union employee kind of sits on that? You, you've got somebody who's advocating for their labor rights, but also potentially going to significantly change the thing that those labor organizers have arguably fought most successfully for. Right. I think this is a very, very sticky issue. Once you start thinking about, well, how does it impact me, right? So these auto workers have held dearly to these benefits. They pay like about, uh, I believe it's 15% of their out-of-pocket costs compared to the average American pays 35. I take that back, 5% out of their pocket. The average uh, person pays 35%. So they protect that at all costs. If we go to Medicare for all, you know, they lose that. And frankly, almost 
A third of UAW rank-and-file members voted for President Trump last time around. And so there is not a clear left-leaning union anymore. So it'll be very interesting to see how that shakes out. Thank you to Joanne Muller, who writes the Axios Navigate newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which today begins rolling out what it calls its news tab to a small group of users. This is basically a spot in the big blue app where quality news content will be curated and presented by human moderators with Facebook paying publishers for participating. Here's Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg in a conversation last night with Axios's Mike Allen. This is something that I've been really focused on for quite a while. We've been spending a lot of time with journalists and, and publishers and experts in the field to learn and understand how we can do a better job of supporting journalism. Now, I'm not sure why Facebook had to spend lots of time figuring out that journalists and publishers want to be paid for their work. And the dollar amounts here are super small, at least in light of the ad dollars Facebook generates from viral news content. But at least this is a step in a more equitable direction. And finally, the Saudi government's annual Davos in the Desert conference kicks off this coming Tuesday in a glitzy show of image rehab for Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who U.S. intelligence agencies say was involved in last year's murder and dismemberment of U.S. resident journalist Jamal Khashoggi. No official program or speakers list is yet available, again, just five days away, but Axios got an early draft, which shows several big financial industry CEOs who bailed last year will be on stage this year, including the Blackstone Group's Steve Schwartzman and SoftBank's Masayoshi Son. None of them, though, will explain why they flipped, probably because the answer is just so self-servingly unscrupulous. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great national Frankenstein Friday. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.